Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRAL Capital Bureau Chief. And I'm Travis Fain, WRAL State Government Reporter. And we actually believe session may be over. Maybe. Yeah, sort of. If you look at the adjournment resolution, I mean, look, session as kind of we think about it where they show up a lot and pass laws, that's over for now and probably until May. But they're actually going to be kind of coming in and out of these little mini sessions, kind of skeleton sessions, just to keep hope alive a little bit, I guess. Um, I think we, we the Senate may be doing some confirmations in the meantime. But yeah, we, we're done-ish. Uh, of course, it did take five pages or four pages of the adjournment resolution to, to lay it all out. So how, how done can you be? It sounds like they're going to be coming back once or twice um, in April and May. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't sound like they're going to be taking up a lot of business. It looks like it's going to be the Senate um, possibly taking up some um, confirmation hearings if those are necessary. I'm not sure that they are, but um, that's pretty much what they said they were sketching out to do in April and May. No. Yeah, and then right before they, they finished up, they did technical corrections uh, to the state budget, 52 pages. Um, you'd think an organization that is wrapping up its longest session in history could give people more than an hour or so before that 52 pages. You know, how many bullet points? I don't know. Changes to the state's, you know, multi-billion dollar spending document. You, th you think we could get more than an hour with it before it passes either chamber, but that was not the case. Yeah, that that has think? gone through. I'd love to tell you what's in it. I don't really know. Um, <laughs> I'd be shocked to find that uh, a significant that it, I, I I feel comfortable that 100 percent of the legislature does not know. Uh, some somewhere south of there uh, knows what's in that. Yeah. Um, also, we should we should mention. Um, first, I want to mention the longest in history. I've got a story coming out on that today. It's going to be on TV tonight at six, and then on online also. By the time you're seeing this. Um, that has to do with the length of session and why it matters. So this session went 15 months this time, um, 199 days. That day 199 was today. And that is far beyond any other session that we've ever had in the legislature. And, you know, you think to yourself, well, why is that a problem? Because, you know, they did have a lot of stuff going on this year. They had the energy bill, they had redistricting, they had COVID-19 and federal relief. But they also... I mean, it also matters because people have to work, right? You only make $14,000 a year. So if you, if you can't afford to not work, then you can't afford to be in the legislature for the most part because the pay is only $14,000 a year and it hasn't gone up in 28 years. Yeah, and I mean, can you think of anything that's more restrictive to the membership than that? I mean, it, maybe that's by design, but imagine a legislature where you paid people, I don't know, say the, the median state salary or you know, the average teacher salary, that was what legislatures make, you know, somewhere in that, you know, 50,000 something dollar range, something you could live off of, that would open the legislature up to a wide percentage of North Carolinians that it's just really close to right now. And, uh, you know, people say the speaker has said, oh, we're not going to raise pay, that would be politically unpopular. I'm not sure that's true. Uh, maybe there's some polling out there that says it is. I, I, I understand how that's kind of intuitive. People would not want you to vote yourself a, a, a pay raise. Other legislatures do it and survive, though. Yeah. And, I and mean, they you, do. I mean, Tennessee pays twice what we pay. And if you pitch it as this is to make this viable for someone who is not a lawyer, who is not wealthy, who is not retired, I mean, that really changes the script and it changes what you're doing. It's not it's not really a pay increase. It's, it's opening the legislature up to more people. It could also really change what they consider, right? Because when you think about it, you know, the people who are in the body, you know, they, they're the ones who decide what issues are important that they need to decide, right? 
so if you have more diverse viewpoints, um, you know, people of different ages, uh, people of different backgrounds, then you might get a more diverse idea of what issues need to be addressed in the state. So um, I think it would be, you know, it, it would be, I love to see how it would change if it, if it were paid better. Also, it could be full time. I mean, there are other, are other states that do that. I think about 10 of them do full time. Um, I know Speaker Moore said yesterday he's not in favor of that because he thinks that people need to be, you know, going home and back in the district with their constituents. But if they've been here for 15 months, can we really say that they've been home a lot? Yeah, and I mean, the, these guys, the, I feel comfortable that they're spending good time with their constituents, regardless of how we do it. But, you know, they, they don't they don't look to us for this sort of advice, Laura. No, they don't. They do not. But anyway, so that story is going to be coming up. Um, but anyway, I wanted to, oh, right. I mentioned, wanted to mention the veto override that wasn't. They did decide to try to, um, to, to override the governor's veto of the mask mandate. This is the bill that would have allowed parents to opt their students out of um, any school mask requirements without a doctor's note or anything else, just if, if they want to. Um, and so the governor had, of course, vetoed that last month. Um, so they decided they would uh, they would take up the veto override in the Senate. Um, there was a lot of discussion about whether or not um, all the Democrats would stand behind this because a couple of Democrats voted for it when it went through the first time. Uh, but no, it did stay. Um, it, it what you know the veto was upheld, so it did not go into effect. But um, but it did kind of draw some attention to a very strange thing going on right now between um, Kirk Devier and Governor Roy Cooper. So Kirk Devier, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a Democrat in the Senate who's, you know, who's been fairly cooperative with the Republicans in a lot of ways. He's worked across the aisle to get some things for his district. Um, and um, Cooper came out and endorsed his primary opponent this week, which is, like, I've never seen that. Yeah, that's... I don't know if it's unheard of, but it's it's close. It's in that territory. And there's also a question of when the governor got involved, because uh, Val Applewhite is the woman running against him. Uh, they, like uh, uh, Senator Devier is a former uh, city council person down there right. in Fayetteville. Um, so she's a pretty well-known quantity down there. And when she got in, I called her and I said, did the governor recruit you or any of his people? And she said, no. And I called Morgan Jackson, who's, you know, top consultant for Roy Cooper and said, hey, did y'all recruit her? And he said, no, as well. <laughs> and then lo and behold, five days later, the governor endorses her. So it's pretty darn convenient that she got into that race all on her own. And then the governor uh, d decided to uh, endorse her with a, without having recruited her to that race. Um, that's going to get ugly down there. That's going to be money that's going to get spent on that primary. And we'll see who comes through there. That, that district is a, I think it went from, um, I can't remember the numbers, but it has gotten a little friendlier to Democrats, which probably emboldens this strategy here. All right, we don't necessarily have to back someone who's quite so moderate. We can try to get a more progressive Democrat in there, but- That seems like a bad year to make that bet. Hey, you know, again, another thing that we are not consulted on <laughs> as much as people may think <laughs> because we are consulted zero on it. Exactly. Anyway, I just thought that was very interesting. Devier, of course, came back at Cooper. Oh, yeah. Um, a lot of discussion about um, being forced to vote party instead of allowed to take care of your constituents. And so it, it's just a, a, bit, a bit of a scandal. Now, there were some bigger scandals this week, Joe. There were some, there were some real good ones this week, actually. Um, one of which was um, former Congressman Mark Meadows. You might remember he um, left Congress to, I think he left Congress to, to work for, um, for President Trump. Um, and um, he and his wife apparently registered to vote in a at a mobile home in Western North Carolina. Is that right? Yeah. And never having owned it, 
No indication they live there. No indication he ever spent a night there. There, I saw some reporting. This was broken in the New Yorker, uh, I believe, last Sunday or so, uh, or maybe it was Monday. Uh, lays it out in stunning detail. <laughs> There's absolutely no reason to believe this is their domicile or that they intend to live there, which is the rule. You're not supposed to register to vote somewhere that you don't live or intend to live at. They have not answered it. Multiple organizations, including WRAL, have reached out and said, hey, do you want to explain how this is not obvious voter fraud? Uh, and they're just not returning the calls. Uh, so I will see. I think I, I think I read that someone in Macon County, which is where the, the residence is, uh, the home is, would have to file a challenge for it to become uh, something that elections officials or maybe even law enforcement got interested in. I don't know that that has happened, but give it a minute. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, like the, the the man has had a week to say, nah, I didn't commit voter fraud. Here's the real simple way to explain why in 2020, even though it looks like I lived in Virginia, I registered to vote and voted in North Carolina. If if he's choosing not to explain that, I have to think that he does not have a good explanation. So, And ironically, he was one of uh, the chief cheerleaders for uh, President Trump's allegations of uh, voter fraud in the 2020 election. So. What a surprise that hypocrisy Amazing. might raise its head in this case. And, and then a current congressman also having some, is some issues this week. Uh, Madison Cawthorn started off the week with stories about tickets and suspended licenses. And so, and I think this was like multiple states too, right? I, I don't know if it was multiple states. Uh, he's got certainly multiple speeding tickets and had his license revoked. Um, you know, like a lot of 26 year olds, he doesn't seem to have uh, kept these things in check. It's just that most of them are not in Congress. Uh, and then he started kind of popping off about Ukraine, got himself in a little trouble there too. He called uh, the, the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, a thug, uh, said it was an evil government, said it was advancing woke ideology, seemed to suggest it's something, a part of a woke empire, which I don't know what that means. I don't know how Ukraine figures into it. Uh, but yeah, he, he, and he's well out of step with, 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 with Republicans on this. It's not like this is, uh, you know, obviously President, former President Trump said some nice things about Putin when this all started, but even he has moved off of that. Uh, but Congressman Cawthorn, even though he walked this back a little bit, uh, was saying this openly to supporters. Uh, and last this, night said the same thing. He said they were both vile, both Russians yeah, but, and Ukraine. I mean, I, you're right. It's not in step with the majority of the sort of the mainstream Republican party, but it is something that you hear a lot in like the far right, like fringe right media, right? Uh, they're accusing Zelensky of being um, corrupt accusing them of having some kind of a bio lab um, where they were producing COVID-19. I mean, it's really crazy conspiracy theory stuff. And so um, on Twitter, when we asked him about this yesterday, he put up a link to um, uh, a guy on Substack who's a, a very right-wing person um, who kind of detailed all the ways that Zelensky has been manipulating the West um, to get involved in, in this war and basically start World War III. And uh, but he, you know, he basically accused him of, you know, misinformation and said that he's praying for Ukraine, but that he didn't think that Zelensky should be trying to manipulate the West. And, and he seems to his ultimate goal seems to be, well, let's let's keep the United States out of war in Ukraine, which I mean, that, that's that's a fairly mainstream uh, opinion. Uh, but what is not mainstream, again, is just is, is basically insulting the country, insulting the government, insulting the man as the bombs fall uh, all around them over there. And I think that's probably what what got him in, in more trouble than anything else. And he is facing a, some pretty stiff primary challengers. I mean, he's got 
what, seven of them, I guess, including seven, um, seven Republicans. Yeah. Current state Senator Chuck Edwards is, is one of the folks on that list. He, of course, had something to say about it. And then um, Michelle Woodhouse, who I guess is uh, the district chairman for that district, Sarah? Well, either ha is or was, and was apparently his choice. Because, I mean, remember, Cawthorn was going to run in a different district near Charlotte and then, you know, has come back. And I don't know if he ever formally endorsed her, but he had donated to her campaign at one point. It, it seemed like she was kind of his heir apparent. Uh, and now, and like, she was one of the first people to say, hey, y'all see what Madison Cawthorn's saying here? Because oddly enough, this came out in a Wall Street Journal column written by Carl Rove. And, you know, someone said, have you seen this? And I looked at it, and I said, well, Carl has buried the lead here because this is paragraph 20. Um, and we were able to get the video and, and show that it happened. But I mean, it, I don't know. I, I wonder sometimes what 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 forethought is going into some of this stuff what people are thinking but you know don't know um in the meantime um i should mention today a couple things um one is that um this long is okay so those of you who've been around a long time might remember in 2011 the republicans when they came into power um they were cutting the budget because of the recession at the time and they decided that um one of the ways they were going to cut it was to um, start charging state retirees premium for 80-20 health coverage. Now, that was controversial because it, up until that point, if you worked for the state for five years, you were considered vested. And then when you retired, you're going to be um, entitled to free coverage. So legislators said, well, we're still, still going to offer them free coverage at 70-30, but they're going to have to pay for 80-20, which is what they were currently all on. So they went to court over that, said that, you know, this was a contractual agreement. The state had told them this was one of their benefits, one of the reasons people work for the state and, <clears throat> and downgrading their coverage was a breach of contract. So, excuse me. So today, <coughs> sorry, uh, today the Supreme Court, state Supreme Court finally ruled on this nine years later. Um, and they didn't, it wasn't like a 100% slam dunk for the, for the retirees, but basically said, yeah, we do think there is some kind of a contractual obligation there and the, and the retirees have an interest and, and trying to see what kind of material damage they suffered, but they sent it back down to a trial court. So I'm not entirely sure what the, what the end of that's gonna look like. Yeah, and you know what it makes me think of, and I'm sure that there are very sharp lawyers listening to this, so tell me uh, whether th th these are connected at all or not, but Leandro, because I mean, this is gonna boil down to the courts kind of telling the legislature to spend some money, right? I mean, ultimately yeah. this is about money. Uh, so well, I, it may or may not be because the court, the lower court might say, you know what, the 70-30 wasn't actually any worse than you had at 80-20. So, I mean, it could be, that seems unlikely given that apparently um, the average retiree, according to the, 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 the arguments in the case, uh, was paying about $400 a year more than they would have been. So it seems like there is substantial material loss there, but obviously that's up for a judge to, fight, to figure out, not me. I'll mention briefly, we hit the two-year mark on the emergency declaration at the start of the pandemic. The uh, governor getting a good bit of pressure to roll that back. DHHS sent a letter to lawmakers on Thursday, so last day of their session, uh, saying, hey, here's a bunch of legal changes uh, that we would like to see in order to kind of roll that back. So maybe that process starts in earnest. I don't know. I'll have a piece this weekend about an immunity clause in state law. Uh, that is tied to the emergency declaration uh, that is uh, a number of people believe nursing homes are leaning on inappropriately trying to, to block wrongful death lawsuits, including the case of, uh, of a former secretary of transportation, Garrett, who was Garland murdered. Garrett. Yeah, Garland Garrett, who was murdered in a, in a nursing home and one of the many uh, 
defenses that the nursing home or the assisted living facility, maybe I should say memory care unit is what it is. Uh, one of their many defenses is this immunity clause. And so th the idea was that this was supposed to protect legitimate COVID related issues and is being used more broadly. Check that story out, should, should drop on Sunday at NC Capital. I think that's about all I have. That is enough. That's enough. Well, we should mention that you're um, hosting on the record this week, looking at redistricting. So, um, so I'm sure that'll be great. That's right. Hey, look, if you ain't got enough redistricting in your life yet, huh, 7 p.m. Saturday night, WRL, I've got a treat for you. I think it replays on Fox 50, 8 a.m. on Sundays. If that's more you're liking, and then we put it online after that. Uh, so check us out on on the record. I'm sure it'll be fabulous. Be there. Or be square. Um, anyway, have a great weekend, and everybody, and we will catch up with you next week here on the wrap.